0: This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio.
1: Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a R film criticism show and podcast. On the show tonight, Cerise Howard, Stuart Richards, Sally Christie and me, Lisa Kovacevic. Uh, but I thought we'd start the show, Cerise, with a little bit of sad news.
2: Yeah, yeah, start on a, a morbid note. Um, with the passing of Slovak-born director Juraj Hertz, I passed away just yesterday, aged 83, a favourite filmmaker of mine, um, intriguingly born on the exact same day, same year as Jan Schunkmeyer. somebody with whom he had a certain affinity and actually appeared in a couple of Schwenkmeier's early shorts as a puppeteer and as himself, but later on made such extraordinary films, unforgettable films as The Cremator, uh, murgiana uh, oil lamps and more um i think the cremator for anyone out there who's yet to discover this uh, altogether too little known uh is it a horror film is it a comedy it's uh, can you have a holocaust comedy it's the most pitch black extraordinary expressionistic marvel of um that uh i i think now that it's more widely available, second run DVD in in England have a, a beautiful new Blu Ray edition of this film. You've you've just got to see this film to believe it and hear it too. An extraordinary score by the great Zdenia Klishka. and then something like Maud Guiana, one of the great doppelganger films, um, one twin sister hell bent on murdering the other, and uh, a completely. Uh, there were such over-stimulating films. His, he was one of the, just the great stylists and a uh, visionary director. And I'm very sad to hear of his passing, even though he hasn't made films for a few years. I still somehow felt touched by uh, him. And we celebrated him um, at the Czechoslovak Film Festival last year mm. and with the Melbourne Cinematheque in a retrospective. Uh, so, yeah,
3: ballet, uh, you know, hurts. <laughs> And I would just like to pay tribute to Izao Takahata, who directed uh, Only Yesterday, Grave of the Fireflies. My Name is the Yamadas, and uh, his last film, The Tale of the Princess Kukuya. Um I just watched Pompoko, which is one of his films, only recently. Uh, really beautiful director, great stories, and, uh, yeah, uh, it's a big loss.
2: Oh, anyone who doesn't wind up a teary mess uh, watching Grave of the Fireflies oh is subhuman. I yeah. mean, it's just that simple. If that film doesn't destroy you... yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, n- another really sad loss.
3: What mm. a week! What a week.
1: Well, on a brighter note, on tonight's show, a hilarious <laughs> comedy about the lovable rogue Joseph Stalin and his death in the aptly titled "The Death of Stalin." Oh God. <laughs> 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 uh, we attempt to discuss a quiet place without making a sound, uh, and a giant Oprah floats above us as we potentially waste our time on director Ava DuVernay's "A Wrinkle in Time." I think I might have given a spoiler there about how I feel about that film. Film of the year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but first, I hate to break it to you folks In the year 2020, Earth has been overrun by sightless predatory creatures with extremely sensitive hearing who possibly use echolocation to hunt humans and other noisy prey The human population seems to have dwindled to a handful of survivors one of which is the Abbott family A family of three children and their mother and father who scavenge the local town for supplies remaining as silent as possible and communicating solely through sign language and almost inaudible with in the opening scenes, tragedy strikes the family and we're witness to the proximity, power and swiftness of this constant looming threat. Flash forward a year and the family are expecting another baby and the dif- difficulties of silence with a newborn uh, loom large, I'd say um, A Quiet Place is directed by John Kranzinski, who many May know as Jim from the American Version of the TV series The Office I don't know about you, but if you've seen The Office
0: I don't look at Jim and think Horror, thriller, alien Movie, do you? I
3: trust him with my life <laughs>
0: He said that he's completely not a fan of genre cinema. Amazing. Or, you know, a fan of horror. And I think he did a really good job at pulling this one off, if, you know, that's he, the case. He
1: did. He also stars in the film as the father alongside his wife, played by Emily Blunt, who incidentally is his real-life uh, spouse. Um, and he also had a hand in writing the screenplay, um, which he co-wrote with Brian Woods and Scott Beck. Um, essentially, it's quite a simple plot that follows a young family who must live life in silence while hiding from behind, um, from blind creatures that hunt by sound um a quiet place is billed as a horror sci-fi and it is those things but for me this was a relentless thriller and a surprisingly
0: effective one at that Sally what did you make of it yeah I really love this I think I love seeing the return of um the whole monster genre lately that we're having all these great monster films um also just the way that the obvious thing about it the way that it played with sound was a really interesting experience to watch it in a cinema. And just to kind of see how quiet everyone had to be, that you could hear everyone's rustling, that it was everything was very amplified because of that. Uh, It was a real treat to watch this with an audience.
1: It was. I got in late to the
0: film,
1: and (laughs) and it was dead silent. I was that person, and I had a bag of twisties. You know, (laughs) this was me. This was me. I was like. Oh God. oh, God, don't look at me. But it really, yeah, it's immersive, isn't sure. it? Because
0: it places you in the environment that these actors are in. The one, my sort of one complaint about it would be the way that I think the score was used. That took away from it a bit for me. If we look at things, obviously, a very, very different film like Warwick, Thornton, Samson and Delilah and the way that sound is used in that with the lack of sound, the lack of dialogue and everything is completely heightened. Um, I think that the if they drew the score back a little bit in this, it would have been a lot more effective. And they had um, Marco Balotrami, who has done a lot of, like, big Hollywood hor- um, horror films like Scream, Halloween H2O, and I think he did the score for Logan as well, and... Um, I, th- I found that a little intrusive, but apart from that, I thought this film was brilliant. I loved it, and I love the experience of watching it with an audience.
3: Yeah, I agree about the score. That com- that's the one thing that I guess took it away from me. Um, I I think that the, I think there could have been a really powerful, like minimalistic score um, of maybe sort of one or two instruments kind of creaking mm. throughout the film, but instead there was just this really naff piano. Yes. And it just sort of came on and it was just like this jingle almost for a car commercial. Um, I loved the use of the sort of the silence, um, particularly when it became, when it came to the more gruesome scenes. There's one scene with a nail uh, where you can Mm. really hear the audience being uncomfortable Mm. um, or when sort of the creatures are lurking in the background. Um, You can really kind of hear people rustle in their seats uncomfortable and I love that about this film. Um, I think the mise-en-scene is really incredible. Um, Just the detail of all of the little things, how they eat, how they walk on sand, um, how all of the toys are really soft. I really loved all the detail about how they live their life in silence.
0: I felt very anxious that they didn't wear shoes for the entire film. <laughs> no, so
1: <'Cause> we should <laughs> say that they have, these these creatures um, are, have highly sensitive hearing as I said in the intro um, and the, this family who's survived um, you know what has been some sort of a devastation to the human uh, species um, have laid sand, tracts of sand throughout the wilderness that they travel into town to fetch supplies or to go fishing and in their house um, and so you you have, it's it's incredibly tense. Every step could be the death of you. you know. Mm. Yeah.
3: Except they have glass. <coughs> like, so much throughout their house, they've gone to so much effort to be silent, and yet they have glass bottles everywhere.
1: I didn't notice that. I noticed um, that when they were, I thought the detail was good. When they were playing Monopoly, yeah. they'd replace the pieces of Monopoly um, with material pieces felt. and things, little yeah. felt things, and they're sort of trying to resemble um, some semblance of, of normality by playing, you know, um, this game, or there's a where they're dancing with um, iPod earbuds in each other's ears. And I thought that was quite lovely.
2: One thing notably absent but central to the plot was a sex scene. Uh, Part of the the narrative and the the anxiety experienced by the audience very much surrounds the clearly imminent birth of a child, um, which is not something famously quiet. Uh, but the conception of such things aren't usually all that quiet either. Um, but we—that uh, is all excluded from the film. Mm. Obviously, it happened. Mm. Um, I think it would have been quite entertaining had that been included. Just uh, I would have been very curious to see what lengths they went to to have <laughs> silent sex, such that they don't get swooped upon by horrible giga esque monsters and dispatched. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, you could pick a whole. You can pick a lot of holes in a film like this because the logic only carries through so far. So you just have to go with it as a ride and enjoy. If you get into that, the uh, the anxiety that this film generally uh, puts you under for most of its runtime, really. Yeah. Uh, the film that it most put me in mind of is a, a starkly different experience. Um, the Ukrainian film of a couple of years ago, The Tribe. I don't know if any. of the rest of you saw this, but this was a film um, set in, in a dystopian school environment. Everyone in the cast uh, is um, deaf and mute, and the entire film is um, all the dialogue is in sign language, unsubtitled, such that it puts the audience in the exact, in that very Situation of being able to to not hear anything but actually with less understanding than the characters in that film of what's going on because they can talk amongst one another and you just have to try to twig to what's going on through gesture, some of which is quite descriptive um, but you know, an amazing experience and with a score that is very menacing. It doesn't have any of the sort of saccharine elements that this does, the Hollywood elements, mm. let's call it. And The Tribe is actually ultimately a much more disturbing film because it's, set in a real world environment but that's what I was most reminded of watching this um uh, that's actually a much scarier film i when as soon as I start seeing the CGI monsters like you do mm. doing this, it's like oh come on, they're not even there
1: yeah, <laughs> but i I like that they, they held back for a long time they isn't. did they mm. kept it quite subtle and I appreciated that but when they did get to the reveal, I know they weren't amazing, but they were fine like they were I was like what are you going to do with another alien type you know interpretation of these sort of creatures i was I was okay with it if you think did of something <laughs> <laughs> they, they are better when they hold them back, but I, I, I really, I really love this film, and I thought, you know, as mainstream high concept movies sort of vie for our attention in this really ever more competitive um, media landscape they bombard us with, you know, all this sensory stuff, loud explosions and um, complex visuals and stuff. And I thought this was incredibly pared back um, and I really appreciated that, you know, so much so that they've taken sound out of the equation, which sort of... Um, it forces you to be a bit more introspective I think. You know, it did make me think a little deeper than I might which I definitely wouldn't have had this been a Marvel film or something, you know. Um and I and I thought, yeah, the the childbirth thing I thought was I thought that was a great uh that was the scariest thing for me. i you know, I'm someone who's been through childbirth and the thought of having to go through it in silence was the most terrifying thing Imaginable within this film and then having to keep that baby silent and the lengths that they've sort of gone to in preparing for that um, event I thought was really well done and quite (laughs) chilling. Um, Yeah, I just thought the film sort of invites and rewards emotional insight and I I really appreciated that.
3: Um, I found it to be really well written as well. The opening exposition of all of the family members really, I think, quickly and smartly paints them all to be very, very different. And mm. you feel for them all. You yeah, genuinely all very, care um, about them. They're all very
0: likeable. So I think almost straight away I felt that I genuinely yeah. cared for all of the characters, which I think is a credit to all mm. of them in a, in a space where they're restricted from, you know, speaking. Mm. So, you know, I think well done on their part for that.
3: And it <laughs> begins with these really quite rigid kind of patriarchal gender roles where he hunts and she looks after the house yes. and, and where that goes in terms of sort of who saves the day and what happens, I find to be really, really interesting at the very, very end.
1: I found it rewarding too and um, I, I enjoyed that the daughter. Um, there's a deaf character in this who, who, who actually, the actress herself is Yeah, Millicent is Simmons. That's, she was
3: in Todd Haynes' Wonderstruck. That's right. Um, yeah.
1: And so that, that's sort of given this family the edge because they can already sign... Mm. And so I thought that was a good plot device, but um, but n- not a naff one. It was well executed, yeah. I thought, you know.
3: There's a few scenes where there's, I guess, this subjective silence where you're from her point of view, which I found really, really interesting, especially there's one where the, one of the aliens is kind of creeping up behind her in the cornfields. And, yeah, I thought that was one of the scariest moments for me. Yeah. Well,
2: not it's least because it's not a silent silence, mm, if you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm yeah there's just uh, a little bit of a high pitched keening mm. something there which is unsettling mm. i um yeah I, I the the signing in this film is subtitled, and just when I was watching this again, it was one of the reasons I was thinking of the tribe so heavily, and I was just thinking they don't need to actually subtitle this because a lot of that sign language that gesturing in the film is it actually does communicate what they're thinking, and you can pretty easily think what they're thinking generally it's We need to get the fuck out of here, kind of ponto.
3: That way. Let's go that way. <laughs> but her face, though, is so expressive. It is. I mean, I loved her in Wonderstruck. She was the best thing in that film. And in this film, I think she's, she's her performance is leaps and bounds in front of everyone else. Well,
2: we're, yeah, we're asked agree. to, yeah, she, there's the most pathos attached to her character because of an mm. incident at the outset of the yeah. film which weighs heavily upon her. So, yeah. Mm. I, I just wish I'd found the alien more palpable because there's yeah. much in this film that I felt I had that actual type experience, mm. especially with that business of that nail sticking up. Yes, you know. yeah. yes. Yeah, you, yeah, everyone in the room is yeah. squirming. Mean, you know it's coming.
3: You know it's coming.
2: So, so when the big baddie appears, I wanted to feel that they were present somehow. Even mm. if it was clearly somebody in a latex suit, I'd still have thought they're actually This is peril.
0: There's something there. Yeah, all the sort of anxieties that I felt from it as well were scenes where the creatures weren't present. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, their absence was much Mm -hmm. more powerful than their presence, that's for sure. I mean, yeah, there's nothing new to their design, really. They're they're well executed. Like, it doesn't look crap. It looks effective, but we've seen it before, really. But, yeah, but that's not what this film is about, I don't think. And and actually, I don't know, it's interesting with sci-fi because, you know, you look at the history of sci-fi and it's it's a it's a funny genre because it sort of purports to be about the future, but it's often telling us something about our anxieties of today or of the past. And so you go back to like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and that's clearly a, a fear of communism. And then you've got um, Planet of the Apes, and it's and then it's Alien, which is actually probably a fear of capitalism in, in its own way. But I won't go into my analysis of why I think that. <laughs> <laughs> It'll take
2: a while. <laughs> why um, not? Because then we can talk for less <laughs> time later about a wrinkle in time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, I just well, I could I could tell you what my theory about Alien is. I oh, know I won't I won't go on about. It. But um, but, but this film to me is like this sort of anxiety about um this sort of over bombardment of of media of iPhones and everything's vying for our attention all the time. And this sort of I think this film is about you know, a need to sort of retreat and and the family are living in this very rural life. It could be like 1920s America or something, you know, and I think it's it's sort of playing into those anxieties of this loss of identity that we all sort of face in this sort of fractured media landscape.
3: There's a really interesting kind of loss of time in the film. It's really hard to pit. mm. so pitch where it is. I mean, it could be in the 80s for all we know. We just
2: know that there have been 89 days like this already yeah. when the film starts, so, but, yeah, we're mm. not positioned firmly in uh, mm. a particular time.
1: Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's a great film and, I, yeah, I personally would highly recommend it.
2: You are listening to a podcast
1: from Community Radio 3RRR FM in Melbourne, Australia. Next up, we're discussing Disney's latest offering, A Wrinkle in Time. It stars Storm Reed as Meg Murray, a teenager dealing with the loss of her father, Mr. Murray, played by Chris Pine, who disappeared four years ago. He was a scientist trying to discover a new form of space-time travel powered by... I don't know, love, uh, I think. Spoiler alert, I did not like this movie. Um, Miss Murray, Gugu Mbatha-Raw, is left trying to raise her troubled teen and Meg's adopted little brother, Charles Wallace, played by Derek McCabe. Uh, then one day they and Meg and the cute boy from school, Calvin, uh, are visited by a tree, trio of otherworldly witchy, fairy, spirit-like guru, alien thingies, I don't know, women. Um, Mrs <laughs> Witch, played by Oprah Winfrey, Mrs What's It, Reese Witherspoon, and Mrs Who Min decaling. They inform Meg and company that they know where her father is. They must travel the universe via a wrinkling of time and space known as tessering. They are soon transported to worlds where they must confront the source of negativity and evil known as the it to save her dad and make it back home to Earth. Meg must embrace her flaws to harness the strength necessary to defeat the darkness threatening to consume them. Uh, the film is directed by Ava DuVernay who was responsible for what I thought to be actually a really enlightening documentary entitled 13th um, which explored masterminds Incarceration in the United States The thesis being that the 13th Amendment in the United States Constitution which freed the slaves And prohibited slavery um, unless As punishment for a crime has continued To enslave black citizens DuVernay also directed 2014 Selma the historical drama based on the 1965 Selma to Montgomery voting rights Marches led by Martin Luther King Jr Among others Um, but A Wrinkle In Time is quite a departure from DuVernay's Politically charged work it's based on A beloved children's classic Which somehow I'd never heard of originally published Published in 1962, um, I for one am a lover of good children's books and films. I watch them quite frequently with my daughter, and and without, I'll have you know. Um, more often than not, I actually find it kind of easier to suspend disbelief when watching children's films um, than when I do watching adult sci-fi or fantasy. Because I, I don't know, I think a good children's film won't condescend to its audience. It'll be layered, it'll play to a child's subconscious and that's why adults will enjoy them too. But this god-awful piece of garbage did none of those things. (laughs) I hated it with a vengeance. It was one of the most painful experiences I've had in a theatre. I loathed every saccharine moment and was so thoroughly disengaged um, that I then started questioning how something this bad was beloved by generations of what I must now assume were children with bad taste. Um, And then I just thought, or maybe it was the film interpretation so I went back to the source material and no from what I can gather the book stinks as well.
0: <laughs> Ow. So you didn't, you didn't like it?
1: No and I hate that I have to give this film more of my time reviewing it. What did you think?
3: Who wants to go first? Hmm
2: <laughs> oh it seems a bit rough to put the boot in any further <laughs> after that. <laughs> <laughs> you, this tale of mom and pop quantum physicists didn't uh, didn't do it for anybody and the, the extraordinary adventures their sceptical daughter and horribly precocious son uh, embark upon with, <laughs> yeah, the cute guy from school <laughs> and three twee women god things. Uh, yeah, yeah, I so, don't know what they were. Yeah, I don't know what they were. Um,
1: it was a, remarkably complicated for such a simplistic film. I thought I was like, how can they overcomplicate this more? I know with quantum physics, <laughs> it just made no sense. What
0: did you think, Sally? Um, look, it was it was not very good, but it is really copying a, a lot of. You know, hate. I don't know that it deserves that much. There were, I tried to take away the positives from this film, which are, you know, I've got a woman of colour directing it who's, you know, directed some excellent uh, stuff in the past. Um, It's got, you know, a very racially diverse cast, which I thought was a good thing. It's important to have those representations on screen, especially for kids. So that's kind of like, you just take that away from it. That's a bit of good. Um, I could not cope with giant Oprah Winfrey. Like, I nearly lost my yeah, shit when yeah. she came. Like, just, it just was too much. Yeah. Like, I felt like it was, I, I don't know, it was just... <laughs> well, the the, the, the the
1: book originally had, re, like, quite heavy, heavy Christian uh, undertones. Okay. Um, and there's a character, I don't know if it's the Mrs. What's It, the Mrs. Who or the Mrs. I Don't Care, that just all she does for dialogue is just, quote, um, historical figures... In time like Marie Curie and oh, that's the Mindy Kaling the Mindy Kaling character, character. I don't know what which one, one she was I'm trying to find it here but anyway yeah. she sort. oh she says things like the foot feels the foot when it hits the ground Buddha Nepali um everyone Mrs. knows who it. yeah Mrs. Who so she just sort of um quotes famous historical figures who have supposedly in you know um our universe helped to sort of but I love that she light.
0: quoted
3: Chris Tucker she's like damn Tucker, American.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, have, I have this friend who's this amazing Melbourne performance artist called Danielle Freakley and about 12 years ago she did this three year performance artist piece called The Quote Generator where she spoke entirely in quotes and quoted who she was saying and what year she was saying in afterwards and I watched I thought they're ripping her off but then I, I didn't realise it was a book <laughs> <They're> for- <laughs> Yeah, anyway, so there
1: was a, the, but, but apparently Jesus was one of those figures and that's okay. now been removed. The reason i Bring it up is because my theory is so they've sort of removed all the um the religious the obviously religious um tropes or tokens I don't know what you want to say but, um and they've replaced God with Oprah. And I think that that's what... I'm okay with that. (laughs) I wasn't. I
0: I, I, I couldn't couldn't cope with it. I think America might be okay with it.
1: I just found it so um, American and individualistic. Like the film sort of says, oh, sadness comes from being um, individual and on your own, but then it sort of teaches you to be an individual and stand up and you can be a warrior. I think she says that a hundred times. Believe in yourself, all that kind of stuff. you think New
3: Zealand look pretty?
1: Oh, was that where it was oh, shot? Yeah, oh, come on, you
3: have of course to course it was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Also, um, the the family in the book <clears throat> are white. So they've made the family mixed race as well, which Yeah. They made appreciate. a film of this
0: before. Haven't they? In, yes, was 2004, yeah, and they were all yeah. white. Yeah.
3: yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, I went into the wrong theater, and I started watching Blockers, um, <laughs> which I've heard is a lot better than I'm the dry <laughs> So it's like, where's Oprah? I didn't realise I was in the wrong theater, um, and then I saw this film, and maybe I was in a vulnerable state, but I did get moved a bit when they were talking about the darkness. Um, Because I think it does deal with kind of childhood depression and being unhappy, um, which I think for a kid who could be in that position could be empowering maybe. Um, But, yeah, the the dialogue is pretty... Atrocious. It I felt think.
0: like. Oh, sorry. sorry
3: when I Zach Galafranakis comes out, mm. it was just, where? Where did he come from? That Why was very is he strange. There? Well, he was
1: a woman in the book. And they've, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, and they've replaced it with a, with a male character. Yes, he's the
3: happy medium. The happy
1: medium. That, that, <laughs> and they're all like balancing on
3: rocks.
2: As, uh, the fil- yeah. So yeah. this yeah. is
1: as funny as it got, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, <laughs> Disney. Disney. But then, over you know, how how often is it that a woman is going to be granted? what could only have been a very large budget to have made
3: this mm. film. $100 million.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much she actually got to direct uh, against you know, in actual physical spaces or how much it was done against green screens, how much it was actually mm. done in New Zealand. But, uh, look, a film like this clearly has its challenges for a director. There's an awful lot to have to somehow plot out and, and coordinate. But, um, yeah, still, when you've got dialogue and, and, and gags of the calibre of the, the happy medium, things are... <laughs> So your work cut out for you.
3: I mean, also, Oprah is playing Oprah. Yes, she is. is. I almost thought
1: she was going to start saying, you get a car, you get a car at one point. She's just sort of like she's hosting the TV show for half of it. There's no acting there.
3: Yeah. And then there's the the boy who's the love interest. Why did he go? Why is he he there? Yeah, he was so pointless. Nowhere. And he slowly takes his clothes off throughout the film, if you notice. He begins with, like, four layers of tops. And then when they go to the next world, he'll take the jacket off and leave that. And then slowly he's getting more and more undressed. I didn't notice that. Which is really uncomfortable because he's 12.
1: Mm. It's also the film sort of preaches, um, you know, self-belief and self-determination and trust yourself, embrace your flaws is a big one. Um, but it takes a pretty white boy to tell the black girl that she's beautiful and yeah. frizzy hair and all embraces. I just thought that was misguided. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Anyone else got anything they want to add about
0: this? <laughs> it felt like a real magpie's nest of... Ideas. Um, yeah, ideas and, you know, Hero's Journey films that we have seen made for kids that were great, like Never Ending Story, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, it's, they're not doing an uncommon thing with, you know, the plotline of this film, but it just was completely unsuccessful.
1: <laughs> and the scene sort of they made no sense. They sort of didn't go anywhere. Like all of a sudden we're in one world and then um, Reese Witherspoon's character decides to turn into like a grassy creature that they all jump on and fly for some no apparent reason. She almost reason. them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> very peculiar. And then she just goes back and says, oh, there was nothing there. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and that sort of goes on and on. It's sort of... And they they go up to the air to see the, the darkness, the dark mm. matter it. And from that point they can start seeing it. But when they're back on the ground, they can still see it. <laughs> so there was literally no reason for her to turn into a giant leaf and take the kids in the air and almost kill them. I um, I did. She's not a very good spectral time travelling wizard.
2: Fairy godmother thing, yeah. Things. I, I did to uh, amuse myself. whilst watching this, imagining uh, a mashup of this with Joe The Holy Mountain, and oh. I thought
3: that would be a good film.
2: <laughs> this, <laughs> I watched that for sure. This was not. That <laughs>
3: film. I mean, the, the kids in my screening were so bored. They were, were they? That's playing in the aisles. They were they they were done.
0: Sally, you went with kids. Yeah, I went what with my niece think? and nephew. Yeah, my niece is ten, and I think that she quite liked did it. Did she okay? My nephew. Um, who is uh, six, not so much, I don't mm. think. Like completely, I think, disengaged from it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe he enjoyed it. But, yeah, my niece definitely told me that she liked it. But then I think that she is their target audience, Perfect. for sure. That, you know? that, yeah. I hate that yeah. word, but
1: she's that yeah. tween market, yeah. which they always use. I hate that. Mm. Um, well, yeah, what else is there to say about that? Not much. Um, I, there Chris <laughs> Pine's pretty. Chris Pine's pretty, that's yep. true.
2: 3 triple r uh.
1: next up the riotous comedy The Death of Stalin. Uh, when tyrannical dictator Joseph Stalin dies in 1953, his parasitic cronies square off in a frantic power struggle to become the next Soviet leader. Among the contenders are the dweebish Georgi Malenkov played by Jeffrey Tambor who you may know from Transparent or Arrested Development amongst other comedies um, the wily Nikita Khrushchev played by Steve Buscemi and La- La- Lavrenti Beria played by Simon Russell Beale, is sadist and historically notorious secret police chief. Uh, the remaining gang include Kaganovich. I should have been in this film. Kovachevich, I would have made a good character. Um, Mikoyan, Paul Whitehouse and Bulganin, Paul Chahidi. And then there's Molotov, played by Michael Palin, whose wife has been arrested and whose own head, it seems, could be on the chopping block. Um, as they bumble, brawl and backstab their way to the top, the question remains just who is running the government? Based on the French graphic novel La Morte de Stalin, The Death of Stalin is directed and co-written by Armando Iannucci. Most well known for other highly successful political satires in the world of television, including The Thick of It in the UK and Veep in the US, which stars Julie Louise Dreyfus. Um, The film has received critical acclaim, but has caused somewhat of a controversy in Russia and many other former members of the Soviet Union, where it has since been banned in Russia, Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan. Anyway, who knew mass murder could be such a hoot? What did you guys Ooh. think?
3: <laughs> I really enjoyed this. Uh, I, d- I loved that um, they sort of acknowledged a lot of the violence and crimes that were happening to the people at the time, though I find it interesting that we didn't see... A lot of it—you just heard a lot of the gunshots, um, and it's not until the very end until you kind of viscerally see violent acts on screen, which I found interesting. Um, a lot of really hilarious, absurd moments there. Uh, their meetings when it's like, and passed unanimously as he points to everyone. Um, I found fantastic. Um, Cerise, what did you think?
2: Oh uh, yeah, look, I, I I found a lot to admire about this film. I've generally enjoyed. Giannucci's work on television and and in film too. The uh, uh, feature length extrapolation of The Thick of It uh, in the loop several years ago was great fun where he took The Thick of It and certain of its uh, cast members and brought in an American aspect and smushed those two uh, political cultures together in a way that was highly entertaining. This uh, clearly quite a bit of historical research has been embarked upon because these are all characters drawn from inglorious periods of uh, Russian (laughs) history and you know, a panoply of wonderful character actor comedians. When, when you get together people like Jeffrey Tambor and Michael Palin in the same film, that, that could you'd think that could only turn out wonderfully well. And yes, these, these there's you know, a huge number of English TV comedians who who aren't necessarily household names, but the the whole cast is filled out with uh, extraordinary comedic talent though very boisey and a lot of the film my, my greatest reservation about this film is just how boisey it is mm. there's a lot of misogynist humor right. in it which i'm sure is true to the characters there's no no i mean the film doesn't sugarcoat these people in any way they are despicable human beings as they jockeyed for power uh but i, I found myself a little uncomfortable viewing this not least because some of the 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 gags that they, uh, various of these characters let rip with just just throw away one liners, reeking of misogyny. Actually, just made me really uncomfortable and I made of the assault
3: other, of children as yeah, well. There were a few children's lines. children but uh, <laughs> 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 they can watch Wrinkle in Time. Yeah, they,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, but it just because it, there were people in the audience laughing at that stuff, and I think it was mm. in the, it, it belonged in the script. And it made the film all that much more uncomfortably funny because parts of it were just plain funny even though black as pitch. Mm. But the the misogynist stuff just sort of... I feel it's a real bind for as a screenwriter and and filmmaker like Ianucci here to to do right by the period and by these actual people and show every aspect of their despicableness but then to actually try to glean humour out of all of it. Some of it's not Mm. necessarily going to sit well and I struggled a bit with that.
3: I did love the Svetlana character though. And Andrea Riseborough is mm. the, the daughter mm. of Stalin she mm. was fantastic yeah mm. I mean
2: there's still some interesting women characters but there were a lot of mm. lines at the expense of women and they were nasty yeah. there were 80s sort of porkies they, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, yeah frat boy comedy lines only in a soviet content.
1: <laughs> yeah it
0: was very much a boys club film but i still really enjoyed it i did i thought it was excellent i thought it was very very funny i love any kind of film where they can take something as dark as the content of this and make people laugh i think that's a difficult task it's a risky thing to do as well to see how it's going to be received um One thing that I thought was particularly great that this, I I think, was probably the intent of the film is just exposing that these people in power in these, you know, big buildings like we have here um, don't know what they're doing. Mm. That they're... Just because they're in this position doesn't mean that they have any clue. And it just exposed that sort of buffoonery, which I think we very much have in Australian politics. So, you know, the relevance there, I, you know, thought was... Really, really clever. Well, it was
1: they were they they did know what they were doing, but all they were doing was vying for power. Really, yeah, trying to knife know. each other. Yeah, it's trying true. to knife each other. And I thought what I liked about it was uh, with Ianucci's other work, The Thick of It and Veep. Um, if politicians make a mistake, they might suffer some public, you know, humiliation, but they'll live to fight another day. Whereas if you make a mistake in the Death of Stalin, you're dead, um, or at a, mil- at a minimum, you're off to the Gulag or something, you know. And I quite liked that fear. It was just a, a comedy of anxiety. Yeah,
0: I totally agree. I know that we were talking about anxiety before in A Quiet Place, but I felt much more anxious watching this film because the stakes are so high with every single character. That's if they fuck up, then they're dead. Um, But, yeah, I definitely felt a huge anxiety watching The Death of Stalin than A Quiet Place.
1: I I thought it was... I was quite intrigued. I was like, how is this going to be a comedy? I mean, Mel Brooks has done it before. You know, he's made a comedy out of Hitler with the producers. And um, so, you know, it's possible. um, So I guess why not? Soviet Russia. Um, it is funny, but it's still respectful. I thought to what happened to the Russian people, like you said, Stuart. The Horror is sort of on the periphery, like, mm. and um, and there was no comedy there. There was no comedy with the killings in this film. Um, the, the, it's it's sort of just on the periphery. It's not central to the drama, but and, and they and they are brutal. But there's there's this sort of wonderful scene where Beria leaves a dinner with Stalin and his cronies to give the day's death lists, I suppose, to his lieutenants, and he sort of hands them out, and he goes, "Shoot her before him. Make sure he sees it. Kill him. Take him to the church and dump him." in the pulpit and I'll leave the rest <laughs> up to you and he's sort of like <laughs> and I thought oh my god this is not a lot of ways it's a film about the bureaucracy of war yeah. and, and worse mass murder um, which, which is so horrific but it is darkly
3: funny there's one um, moment where um, they're rounding people up and a son dobbs in his father but then later in the film that father gets released and there's this really awkward family <laughs> <laughs> reunion back that's at their right. house. Because yeah.
1: everyone's just dobbing in everyone else yeah. that's trying to save their own skin. Um, it's interesting that, you know, the film's been praised for its you know, striking the right comedic tone as we've sort of said and it's receiving lots of rave reviews across the globe but Russia's not laughing because they've oh, no, banned no. the
2: film. Or maybe um, they just object to all the Cockney accents yeah, because perhaps. no no one's even trying to put on a, oh, a no, dodgy like. Eastern European... Yeah, no, no. no, I actually really enjoyed I, that too. As soon as, as you well. go into dodgy Eastern European mm-hmm. accent land, you kind of lost me. And probably, Absolutely. I think um, Red Sparrow yes. got slammed on this show for doing much that and... Uh, Yeah, so everyone here speaking in their natural often English or sometimes American accent actually works a treat because then you just actually put that completely to one side or actually embrace the absurdity of having Stalin be a Cockney.
1: Well, I Uh, love that because I was reading, because I actually don't know too much about this period in our history and I should, um, so I'm glad that the film has been made. Um, But I was reading that Stalin was sort of a peasant of sorts and had what would be the equivalent of a Cockney accent. So I thought that was kind of inspired because then these accents do become part of their characters and it's it's an enriching spirit experience isn't it
0: yeah i know that the decision was made for them not to do russian accents because they for one thought it was a very hard task and two they thought it would take away a lot of the comedy because they wouldn't be able to improvise as well if they were focusing on having to perform comedy with doing a fake accent which i think was very clever Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: yeah yeah i know i really enjoyed that i thought the fact that they've banned the film is is kind of kind of hilarious in itself and I was reading Ianucci said that somebody sent him a photo of them watching the death of Stalin under Putin's window in the Kremlin and I just thought that was just brilliant because it's so difficult to ban this content yeah. now it's sort of yeah hilarious um but yeah I really I really enjoyed this film and if someone had have told me that that I would love a political satire set in the Soviet Union there's no way I would have laughed at them but not as much as I did watching this film you know I thought it was um I thought it was it was quite great I thought that opening scene there's a, there's a lot of fact in there too there's a, this wonderful opening scene it opens with a concert um, where a Mozart Mozart concerto is being played with orchestra live on radio Moscow um, and in the control booth out the back they get a call from Stalin and he asks for the recording of the performance to be curated to his recorders and of course they haven't recorded it so um So funny. It's so funny. So the booth operator just runs out in a panic as everyone's leaving, <laughs> yelling, no one panic, this is just a musical emergency. And um, <laughs> and ensuring everybody, don't worry, nobody's going to get killed. <laughs> and everyone's sort of confused and frantic until he's just like, sit the F down! And then the, con- the conductor panics and faints, and they have to go wake someone up in the night to be the new conductor. And in, in the real story of this, they actually had to get retrieved three conductors from their beds. But Iannucci thought that, that would be too unbelievable so he settled on one yeah <laughs> I just thought it was it was it's an amazing film about um, the anxiety that this sort of world creates, you know. Um, anyway, The Death of Stalin is on wide release and it's also playing at a variety of independent cinemas um, for that lovely independent old school cinema experience. Um, and we also discussed A Wrinkle in Time and A Quiet Place tonight, both of which are on wide release. Um, you've been listening to Cerise Howard, Sally Christie and Stuart Richards and me, Lisa Kovacevich. The podcast version of the show is edited by the wonderful Faith Everard. On next week's show I have no idea what we'll be discussing. I know what we won't be discussing, Stuart, you mentioned out there we will oh, not be, rampage. We will
0: not be discussing <laughs>
1: rampage, Yeah, not talking about that.
0: <laughs> I think we're looking at next week Isle of Dogs. Oh great. Uh, the party and scaffolding. Oh well, there you go. We're yes. so we're
1: more organised than I knew. Yeah. Um thanks for joining us.